Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are going to be hearing from the CEO of a brand strategy and business development firm. Joining me in the studio to listen to and discuss the interview this week are my friends and fellow leaders, Bryce Daniels and Elijah Friedemann. Now, before we get into the opening discussion question, I wanted to take a second to announce the winner of the free book giveaway for J.J. Sutherland's book, The Scrum Field Book, a masterclass on accelerating performance, getting results, and defining the future. As you may remember, we had a book giveaway going on over the last two weeks, and our winner of this giveaway is Jonathan. Jonathan wrote in and said, wow, so many good things packed in here. I really like the idea of having one or multiple tight feedback loops from those who gain value off of what you produce. The second thing that I took away was prioritization. I've learned to prioritize over the years, but JJ's way of saying ruthless prioritization really takes it to a whole new level. He said, prioritize every single thing you do in life, put it all on a wall with sticky notes, and don't let two things be equal. That's incredibly difficult for many people, including myself, but I can see how helpful it would be in work and in life, and I look forward to doing that myself. Well, Jonathan, thanks for writing in. And it sounds like you are a perfect person for this book, and I hope that it is very helpful for you. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit about marketing today, both personal branding and organizational branding. So I wanted to start off with this question. When it comes to how you like to present yourself, what are some key values that come to mind that you would like to be known for to other people? I think for me, being someone that people know they can depend on, and then not only just depend on, but depend on to get the job done. So someone who's both competent and dependable. Yeah, that's good. Bryce, how about you? I believe uh, for me, it is very much sincerity and honesty. You definitely want to be able to stay true to the image that you put out there for yourself when it comes to branding and however you just present yourself. It's a good word. Well, we're going to be hearing a little bit more about what it looks like not only to uh, think about your own personal brand, but also how to market an organization or whatever thing that you are leading. Now, our guest today is the founder and CEO of the CeeLo Agency, a global brand strategy, integrated communications, and business development firm specializing in public relations, creative development, and media strategy. Over the past 35 years, the firm has grown to represent both private and public companies on a national and international basis. It has also become known as one of the top three aerospace defense communications agencies in the nation. Our guest has degrees from the Mississippi University for Women and Harvard Business Schools, and she is the chairman of the board of the Center of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the University of Mississippi. Here is Liza Lucer. 
Liza, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I'm hoping that you'll start off by sharing a little bit about the CELO agency and how you got your start in brand strategy and business development. Sure, I'd love to. I started the company in 1984 when I was 25. And um, of course, at that age, you feel, you feel fearless. And um, But I was excited about it. I felt led by God to do this and um, prayed over it for about a year before I started the company. And, um, you know, one fun thing is that I felt like if I had my own company that I would not be able to have uh, to really eventually get married and have a family and to be good at all of it. And what I didn't realize is that I was um, actually preparing a place for my husband to eventually join me. We met uh, four years after I started the company and then we married and he uh, was in PR, I was in branding and um, the rest is history. So we've celebrated 35 years uh, or the company celebrated 35 years this year, and it's been pretty, pretty great and uh, definitely a blessed time. Um, I started in brand strategy and business development. Brand strategy was just my love and passion. Business development, my very first job out of college was with the Clarion Ledger, and it was in the advertising department. And the first day on the job, I was given a map a red line around an area of Jackson and they handed it to me and said, go sell ads. <laughs> and so that was about the, all, the extent of the training I received on my first day. And, um, but it made me fearless. It made me comfortable to approach people or have a conversation with uh, individual business owners to talk about what they needed and uh, to figure out how we could help them and specifically how I could help them going forward. And when you're talking about uh, an agency that is helping uh, organizations grow and really understand their own image and how to put that out to the world, any number of people do that. But the CELO agency is, is a fairly large organization. Could you give the listeners an idea of the scope of some of the projects you've been able to help with in the past? Yes, absolutely. We have been uh, working in from everything from uh, Mississippi companies to companies all over the world. And we've been blessed to do that because of our growth in the airspace defense industry. We work with Sanderson Farms, the uh, state's only Fortune 1000 company located in the state of Mississippi. Uh, and they are just a great, great organization. And um, a lot of um, the aerospace defense companies, but that started with Engel Shipbuilding on the coast. And what launched us into the airspace defense industry was helping uh, Northrop Grumman and Raytheon win the largest defense contract ever awarded at that time. And they were very kind enough to, um, when we won that contract, the team won that contract, they invited us, the only supplier, to their victory party and said and announced during that party that they would not have won that contract without us. And the strategy behind positioning the team as the team to do to win the contract. And so uh, at that point, um, a trade publication named us one of the top three defense communication companies in the nation. And then companies started calling us. And so it, it's been pretty great. It's been a great 35 years. 
Now, what has it looked like as you have grown as an agency? This is, as the listeners know, this is a leadership podcast, and it's always helpful for us to be able to hear from people who have been in a business for 35 years, build something that's successful, and who has developed a leadership team around them to help the organization grow and continue on. What did it look like in those early years and maybe even in more recent years, developing that leadership team that really provides a firm foundation for what you do? When we started hiring people and expanding, the biggest growth year uh, or decade was obviously in the 90s. We started in 84, uh, you know, grew and, um, and did well. But then in the 1990s, launched. And so the a group of people that we hired there um, are at that time, the majority of those hires are still with us. And that is really, I think, what makes all the difference in the whole wide world because, you know, every CEO would like to say, oh, yeah, it was all me and everything. And it was sure, not. Yeah. It was uh, all of us. Um, you know, Rick, my husband, who joined the firm after we married, uh, but we have worked together. There are a team of 10 people who have worked together over 20 years. This year, we have three people celebrating their 25th anniversary for us, mm. or with us. And then um, Linda Leslie, who is our VP and creative director, has been here 28 years. Lisa Comer has been here for 26 years. So uh, we basically grew up together. But we formed a bond early on. And, um, and it's a bond of trust. It's a, a bond of... Uh, knowing that we're stronger together than we are individually. And, um, of course, as a, a business owner, rewarding that uh, with all of our employees. For instance, we have profit sharing and everything. So when we win, we win together. When we lose, Rick and I take the hit. So <laughs> you know, there's, there's a little bit of, um, of reward and not as much much risk for them as it is for us but sure. uh we we have really worked together there's seven members still remaining three of those uh employees have have retired so we're all still together and still growing strong and seeing how far we can take it until we retire so based off of all of that what would be some advice that you could give to young people who are looking to start something from the ground up and want to make sure that they're doing it in the right way in a way that will really last? Is it simply caring for your people or is there something more? Well, you know, you have to have a strong, um, a, a strong element of and bond of trust with your people. And they, you have to help them uh, see your vision and to try to catch your vision. And so um, if you can do that, you've got a strong team. But, you know, if you're, if someone's trying to really do something from the ground up, the first thing they need to do is to look at the product or the service they're offering. And so obviously, you know, is it sustainable? Is it marketable? Uh, is it scalable? And they need to really look at the product and if they can, can really take it forward throughout the years. You know, fads are just, just what they are. They're, here today, gone tomorrow. Um, you know, when I was at Harvard Business School, the for a company to have um, a national presence and basically consumer like cars or food or whatever, you know, the best you could uh, you can do is about a twenty percent market share nationwide. 
are within your industry. And so is if you could capture 20%, is that enough money for you to sustain a company going forward? The other would be, um, you know, looking at how you could, you could just scale your product, how you could grow your product uh, or service from year to year. So if you have a great product, then you can get a team around it. If you don't, it's all going to fall apart. When you say words like branding, advertising, or marketing, people usually have some ideas and some images that come to their minds. What would you say are some important components that people tend to overlook or not value enough when it comes to these things? Well, I think the issue now especially with social media and everything digital is that trust and personal commitment is the most important thing that you have to do. Uh, you know, in our digital age, we um, do not have that, that personal touch. And if you lose that connection and you don't bond as a friend, as a trusted, you know, uh, ally uh, or a partner, you know, you don't forge those relationships, you're going to be a commodity and it's going to be easy for them to do business with you today, toss you to the side and do something else with somebody else tomorrow. So again, is that, that trust and personal commitment that you have to that individual you're working for that's going to sustain your company. Without it, again, you'll be a commodity. So these days, and you just mentioned social media, it seems like personal branding is something that people are talking about a lot more and thinking about a lot more. Now, I will defer to your expertise on this. Would you say that's true? And regardless of how you answer there, would you say that there are similarities between organizational branding and personal branding, or are those two different animals? Nope. They're really just close. There are a few you know, tactics that are different. But they're really the same thing. But the only difference are in the goals because the goals are with uh, personal branding. It's your personal, you know, advancement. It's your position in a community or in an industry. Um, so it's all about you. With a, you know, a organizational brand, it's about the mission. It's about the purpose of that organization being in business and why they exist. So again, it goes into a, uh, a broader stroking mission, so to speak, for an organization versus a, you know, individual personal advancement all about me. And do you think that, that personal branding is more prominent now? Or do you think that just the way that we see it, the way that it's displayed is more obvious because of Facebook and Instagram and any other number of social media sites? That's a really good question. Um, I think the the challenge, you know, with a personal brand, if you look at it, you would think that if you or I are working on a personal brand, it's all about character. It's all about your purpose of life, you know, why, why you think you're here on earth and or what you think you're supposed to be doing while you're here on earth. Uh, hopefully making uh, a better world that you found it. Um, and you look on social media and, and people are becoming known for things that um, are not quite positive. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of negative. You know, obviously, you can think of two things. You can think of Mother Teresa and uh, that image and what comes up you know, to your mind. And then you can think of uh, 
you know, Monica Lewinsky and what comes there, you know, uh, and to me as a woman, that's an absolute victim of and an abuse of power when I, when her name comes up. Um, but it's not a positive brand. Sure. And so when you're looking at that and working on your own brand, you first, I think, have to realize how you want to be perceived, how you want to be positioned in the market, and then do those things or not do those things that would ever cause any question. And social media is there to tag you and to highlight every move in your life. And I'm just so grateful that I didn't have it when I was in college <laughs> and a young person. I'm Really, you can just be in any type of, of situation and it can look bad, even though you're not doing anything bad. So another thing that we bring up from time to time on this podcast is mentorship. Could you speak to how some of the mentors in your life have been able to help shape who you are, either as an individual or as a, a lady in business who has seen a lot of success over the last 35 years? You know, I, I've not had a lot of mentors in my life, and I wish I had. Um, mentors uh, became popular, uh, you know, uh, over the last 20 years, but I do have people who believed in me and trusted me and gave me a shot. And um, I am forever grateful. And um, what I did love is one of the very first individuals who did that was a man named Jerry St. Pay. And he was the CEO and president of Ingle Shipbuilding on the coast. And um, he, you know, said, I were looking for a firm to do something uh, to really it was a brochure and had a project. And he said, um, look, I'll get you the appointment in there, but after you're in, you're on your own. And uh, we had to, you know, win that account. But Jim Mackingdale, who, who worked there and actually hired us, um, you know, trusted us. And we have a, over a, almost a 35 year relationship with, with Engel Shipbuilding and Jim Mackingdale and Jerry St. Pay, who is retired now. But um, the fact that they put their trust in us and gave us an opportunity to prove ourselves. And it means more to me than, than really anything. But um, men and women like um, Robert Kayat, who was the chancellor of Ole Miss um, and from my hometown, uh, did the same thing. Uh, the Taylors with Taylor Machine Works in Mississippi. It all started here in the state, and I'm forever grateful. We will still work, you know, as I mentioned, with Joe Sanderson and um, Sanderson Farms with Lampkin Butts and Mike Hockrell and Hillary Burroughs, and they are such a great, strong team and give back to the state of Mississippi. One of the best things that we uh we do every year is to handle a PGA Tour, the Sanderson Farms Championship. Mm that uh, raises over a million dollars for, for children's hospital, for bats and children's hospital. And uh, that has a ton of meaning, but it's all right now, you know, once you're successful and once you're able to, uh, to become sustainable, you can start giving back. And that's what we love to do more than anything else. So last question for this part of the interview is, do you have any principles that young leaders could follow as they're seeking to establish a strong brand identity for whatever cause or organization that they're leading? You know, I think the CELO agency has uh, uh, just coined the phrase 
brand DNA, CeeLo brand DNA. And it's because everything, every company is different, honest to goodness, no matter if it's a nonprofit or if it's a for-profit. For example, if you think about um, Volvo and BMW, you know, they're great cars, but they differentiate themselves from one another and from all the, their other competitions. So the key is to, to have a strong brand. You have to understand what makes you truly unique, understand how to create that messaging going forward that will separate you from the brand um, like Volvo and BMW uh, do. Vol Volvo, you would typically think when somebody says that, word Volvo or you see a commercial or, or um, see something on uh, Facebook or Instagram about Volvo, you probably will think safety because that's their core value. And then BMW in turn is performance is their core value. And so when you're thinking of the two, well, BMW is safe and Volvo performs well, but they've claimed their space. So that's how they compete. Volvo competes with safety, BMW competes with performance, and they're both very successful companies. So you have to look at the company that you represent, identify what is truly unique that no one else can take and to say, you know, as their own. And you think about McDonald's, they have the arches, they have Ronald McDonald, um, they have the Ronald McDonald House. Those are truly unique to that organization. And then you capitalize on it and uh, claim your space. So McDonald's is all about family and bringing the children there. Uh, Burger King is all about, um, I'm trying to think what Burger King is. Is about. it have it your way? Have it your way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then Wendy's is about fresh. And um, so, you know, they're all in different spaces. And that's how they compete. You have to figure out how you're going to compete. Well, Liza, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Now, before we finish, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Having a few very bad bosses and I made a commitment to myself that I would never have my employees have to deal with that uh, and go through the same situation. Um, on a lighter side, uh, Bill Yates was one of my very first clients and uh, with Yates Construction and I attended meetings that he prayed before those meetings and with his entire organization and um, that was when I, it was just me and I had just started and I thought if I ever grow to a company that has more employees than just me I would start every meeting with prayer and ask for God's guidance over us that week and for 35 years to this day till this morning um, we do that. And wow. that's important to me. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? A servant, a guide, and a conductor, a symphony conductor. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? Am I keeping the main thing the main thing? And what book would you recommend to leaders? I have several. Good to Great, Extreme Ownership, How the U.S. Uh, Navy SEALs Lead and Win. Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, and anything from by Malcolm Gladwell, The Tipping Point, Outliers, David and Goliath, Blink, 
I keep a uh, number. I probably have 50 audio books on my phone and um, I am always reading a, a new business book. That's one thing as a CEO and as a leader, you have to continually learn. There's always something new to know. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Leave your insecurity and immaturity at the door. Um, you usually cannot see it, but every issue that we deal with and everything I see, the weaknesses fall, tend to lead directly to insecurity and or immaturity. And so if you can um, get someone to speak truth to you and to work with you, or you can hire an executive coach to help you through that, um, that would be the first thing I would say to do. And finally, our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this, as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? If I have to choose between the two, I would say why not? But my real question would be, and what I do ask all the time, is what if? Um, the CELO agency's positioning statement or slogan is creative vision, the ability to see what is and what can be. And that's really what we pride ourselves on. It's the fact that we understand what reality is, but we also say, okay, what if? What if we do this? We can do this. We can figure out how to go forward. And this is what it, the future can look like for you. So really, what if is our question that we ask all the time. I like that. Thanks for adding a little bit new to our question canon. Liza, thank you so much for joining the podcast today and for sharing with us your expertise. It's been a pleasure. Uh, my sincere pleasure as well. Thank you. My honor. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. 
If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.